this is a message that uh, I think if I were ever given the opportunity to um, preach to preachers, like at a pastor's conference or something, I might, this is a message that I might that I might bring in regard to John the Baptist and his role as a preacher. In my studies this week, as I was studying John the Baptist and and uh, and what he has to say, it was personally meaningful to me. It might it might well be that this message was intended for me, and you get the joy of sitting here and listening to me preach to myself. But hopefully, hopefully, there's a couple others who. Um, this has has impact for as well, and I believe it will because it's God's word. That's what He does. So, join me in a word of prayer. We're going to spend some time today. We're, we're continuing this chronology of Jesus. We're going to talk about John the Baptist. I'm going to jump outside the chronology a bit just to kind of bring some completion to this story of John. So we start with the passage that you just heard read, and then we're going to go to a later time in John's life. But let's uh, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your church. I thank you for the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. I thank you that in your wisdom you have lovingly ordained and taken imperfect, sinful people, people like us, and you have brought us together for your purpose and for your glory and to proclaim your goodness, to be your hands and feet in this world, Lord, that your, your great idea for impacting this world, for touching lives, for for healing, for bringing people to reconciliation with God and an awareness of who you are is to take us, jars of clay, these people, and use us for your purpose, for your your kingdom. And Lord, I pray that you would indeed do that in your church, that you would do that in us, that together we would see the kingdom of God as it is and as you are creating it. We would know our role in that, Lord, and we would embrace it with joy and excitement. Lord, I thank you for your word and the fact that you have spoken to us, that we do not serve a God who is distant and uninvolved in our lives, who doesn't care to speak to us and to make himself known, but that you have made yourself known in your scripture, that we can read and that your Holy Spirit takes those words and infuses them into our hearts and our minds and that we can, in fact, hear from you and grow in you. Lord, I pray that the words that are spoken today would not be empty, would not be Uh, without meaning, would not stray from your intent, but that you would in fact use them for your purpose and your honor and glory, that you would change us and cause us to grow and to become more like you. So Lord, we pray that we would would hear from you today. I pray that as I preach, that I would be able to preach well. I pray this in your name. Amen. So this week I was thinking about Taylor Swift. (laughs) You didn't expect that, did you, Josiah? Josiah says, I've listened to him preach a lot of sermons, and I did not expect him to start with that opening line. I was thinking about um, Taylor Swift. The thing with Taylor Swift is that, I mean, she is just everywhere. She's everywhere. It's like, it's like ugly on an ape, you know what I mean? You just can't shake it off. It's, did you get that? Some of you got that. <laughs> Some of you got that. If you know anything about popular culture, you know the name Taylor Swift, and she is, she is on everything she has found everywhere and the thing that i was thinking about is her um her meteoric rise to fame just the fact that in just a few years she she has become someone who is just widely popular and the thing that i'm wondering about is in our culture that is so um cynical fickle easily bored how long is that going to last you know what point will she or someone like her go from the point of being a darling to being a joke. It almost seems it almost seems inevitable in our culture. And how hard is that on a person to have suddenly come to this place of fame and status and then all of a sudden it's gone. 
it's removed. I don't think we should ever assign um, fame or star status to preachers, but if you were to, if you were to make a list of preachers who have had great influence, who have been well-known, who have um, had incredible impact, you would have to take John the Baptist and put him right up there at, at the top of the list. In fact, Jesus himself said of John the Baptist that of men born of women, there is none greater. John the Baptist is someone who had incredible influence, and his influence came quickly. He went from being a person who was kind of by himself, a loner, a hermit out in the wilderness, to all of a sudden, everyone in Israel is coming to him. Anyone who was anybody wanted to hear John the Baptist, including Herod himself, including the king. They would come out and they would want to hear him, and religious leaders wanted to hear him, and people were being baptized by him, and people were listening to his sermons, and people were accepting his wisdom and what he had to say, and he had all of this sudden notoriety and all of these people wanted to hear what John the Baptist had to say. But now we find him in John chapter 3, and everybody is leaving. Everybody is walking away. Now a discussion rose between some of John's disciples and the Jew over the issue of purification. And John's disciples come back to John, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, or teacher, he who was with you across the Jordan, talking about Jesus, in whom you bore witness, look, He's baptizing, and all are going to him. All of these people who are listening to you, all of these people who are around you, all of these people who would come out day after day after day to listen to your sermons, to hear you speak, to talk about God, people who are being baptized, they are now all going to the other side of the river, and they're with Jesus. And you're alone with just a couple of us sitting here, and we're looking, and we're seeing everything that, that God is doing over there in Jesus. Now, how, how would John choose to react to that. The way that he would choose to react, I think, says something important to us. Now, he, he could have chosen to say, well, that's, that's good. I guess that's what I wanted. But I'm going to go over there and just kind of sidle up to him and see if you know, I can get in on this a little bit too. After all, I'm the one who kind of gave him his start. I was the one who was talking about him. And you know, so I'd like to see if I could share a little bit about with that. He could, he could act disappointed. He could act like, boy, you know, I kind of I kind of hoped that you know, everyone wouldn't be so quick to leave me. It could be like um, you know, the little hardware store in the corner that's been there for generations and is taking care of a community, and then all of a sudden Home Depot builds across the street, and there's the owner standing there in his hardware store watching all of his faithful customers go across the street and saying, well, that's nice. That's just great. All are going to him. And John answered in verse 27, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given him from heaven. Boy, if we had that attitude, if we really understood that, if we had that attitude about our possessions, our our talents, everything that we have, that everything that we have is a gift from God and it's from him and it's for him. So John is expressing everything that is given to me is given by God. It's for him. It's for his purpose. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. And we're standing here and we're watching John the Baptist, who at one point had all of these crowds, all of these people coming to him, and now they've all left and they're all going and they're spending time with Jesus. And he's not sitting there mourning that. He's not sitting there... Um, upset that he's not in on it. He, he actually has a smile on his face. He's overjoyed. He says, this is a good moment. 
This is precisely what I wanted. I'm excited about this. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Think about a best man for a moment. What's the job of a best man? What is it? What is entailed in being the best man at a wedding? The friend says, hey, I'd like you to be my best man. Well, that's great. You start to think through that a little bit. I'm going to have to go out and get a tux. I'm going to have to go put down some serious money on a penguin suit that I'm going to wear once. I might have to get plane tickets. You know, the wedding is in another state or something. It's going to cost me a little bit. I've got to get plane tickets or I've got to get travel. I have to set aside a weekend. I might miss some work. I might miss work on a Friday because I've got to be there for the rehearsal. I'm going to be there all day Saturday for the wedding, the dinner in the evening. The, um, the best man's job uh, entails some things. There's a possibility he's going to have to put on a party. Um, there's, there's the reality that he has the, he has the task of making sure that the other groomsmen who are sometimes inclined to do stupid things don't do it. Um, he has, he has to attend to any details, you know, are are there things in the wedding that, that, um, just kind of come up last minute and he wants to kind of protect the groom and the bride from having to shoulder that. So he's going to attend to those things. He's going to take care of them. He probably has to write a speech and he may not like public speaking at all. In fact, he may have never done any public speaking, but now he has to write this speech that is, um, you know, witty and, uh, funny, but not insulting, not condescending that, you know, paints the bride in a really nice light and his friend the groom in a nice light and it's just a really nice toast he has to write this come up with it and then he has to be able to deliver it in a really nice way even though he's scared to death of public speaking you know all of these things are kind of the you know the the role of the best man that's daunting and that's a daunting task will you be my best man absolutely i'd be honored i'd love to and if it all works out well If he does his job well, when people leave the wedding, they don't say, how about that best man? (laughs) Or they don't say, ugh, did you see that best man? When they leave the wedding, they're talking about the bride. They're talking about the groom. They're talking about how beautiful the wedding is. What a beautiful couple. Wasn't that awesome? Wasn't that a great wedding? In fact, if they don't say a word about the best man, there's a good chance he did his job well. There's a good chance he did his job well because he stood back and he put them into the spotlight and he said, look at them. Look at them. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And this is John's heart. This is what John is saying. Look at Jesus. Look at what's happening. He puts them right in the spotlight and he steps back. He says, this is precisely what I wanted. Listen to his next words. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase. He has to be more seen. He has to be more glorified. He has to be more praised. He has to be more exalted. And I must decrease. I have to step back. I have to fall back into the shadows. It's best if I not even be seen at all and that people, in fact, see Christ. I took that verse and I highlighted it and then I underlined it with another color. He must increase, but I must decrease. Because we have a hard time saying that. I have a hard time saying that. Now, I would never say he must decrease and I must increase. That would be heresy. That would be terrible. 
I want Jesus to increase. I want him to be seen more. I want, I want Christ to be exalted and glorified and all of these things. But if I were to say John's word, sometimes, if I were honest, what I would say is, he must increase and I must increase. He must increase and I must increase. He must increase. He must be seen more. He must be exalted. He must be known. And it would sure be nice if I could kind of ride the coattails and be right there with him and catch a little bit of that. Because sometimes we want the credit too. We want to be there too. When I step down after a sermon, I want to hear, Pastor, that was a great sermon. And I'm going to deflect that because I know, I know that anything that's accomplished is God's word and him using it, taking the Holy Spirit and infusing it in a person that's very best, I'm a conduit. But there's still a part of me that wants to hear, you did a good job, that was great. Do you ever, um, do you ever kind of interject something, throw something good in that you did even if it doesn't really fit the conversation, just because you kind of want people to know. You know, like last week I was, uh, I was thinking, you know, about that thing that we talked about. I was driving, well, actually I was, I was uh, um, feeding the homeless. And, um, and you know that thing that we were talking about where, you know, that business deal had absolutely nothing to do with it, but you just kind of want them to hear, you know, I did something. I did something good. Every year the Evangelical Free Church sends us this little thing we've got to fill out. And it talks about how many people are in the church and were baptized and came to know Christ the last year and staff you've added or staff that has gone away. You know, when the church is numerically growing, you know, when it's, you have more people than you had the year before or you've added more staff, you know, then fall comes around and I know that piece of paper is coming. There's a party that's thinking, I wonder when that piece of paper comes. I've got to fill that out. I've got to let them know what's happening here. I've got to let them know what's taking place. But if it's not going that way, you know, the church isn't growing in numbers or you haven't seen a whole lot of people come to the Lord or you lost staff and then all of a sudden that piece of paper catches you by surprise like, ah, that stupid piece of paper. And you put it on, you know, stick it in the file and then two weeks later you get a phone call, hey, did you get that survey we sent out? We'd really like to know, you know, oh yeah, I forgot about it. Jane, could you fill out this piece of paper? I don't, I don't, I don't have time for this thing. <laughs> I don't know if you struggle with that, but I mean, I, I would, but, but I, but I struggle. You know, we kind of want to. Yeah, I want Jesus to be seen. I want Jesus to be exalted. But, but it would be nice if, you know, I could catch a little of that credit as well. It'd be nice if I could get that as well. John says he must increase, but I must decrease. That would be the best sermon would be the best sermon is if you walked away from it and you said, man, alive, we spent some time in Jesus' presence today. I don't remember who preached. I don't remember what he said. But I know that I was in the presence of Jesus. That'd be really good. We struggle, we struggle with um, wanting some credit. We struggle with wanting to, to be seen. And what would it look like what would it look like in the church, the church, if we weren't concerned about building and programs and um, how people see us, how people view us, but we are really just concerned that people see Jesus, that people see Jesus in his church, that people see Jesus in our lives? What would it look like in our homes and our marriages and our families if we weren't concerned that, you know, I'm not getting the respect I deserve, I'm not getting what I deserve, I'm not getting... But instead, we were able to say, I just really hope that my wife 
my husband, my children, see Jesus. I really want them to see Jesus. How about our school? How about our workplace? I'm not getting the credit I deserve. People aren't seeing me. I didn't get that raise that I wanted. Boy, I really hope that people see Jesus. This is John's heart. I really desire that people would simply see Christ, that they would see Jesus. He's the best man. This is my job. I don't want anybody to see me. I want them to see him. I think the other thing that we sometimes struggle with is we think that if we give ourselves to helping people see Jesus, we give ourselves to service and ministry, and we really pour ourselves out, that Jesus will take care of us. Everything will go well. Everything will be good. Kind of like a, I'll scratch your back, you scratch my back kind of thing. This last week I was doing a, a service at a nursing home. We, we, um, we always start with music. This didn't happen this time. This happened last time we were singing. And usually Ruth Ann Tiffany leads the singing. She's a very good singer, so she does well. It's all of us very well received. But if she's not there and I have to lead the singing, I'm standing there leading the singing. I've got you know a few friends who are sitting here about ready to listen to the message. And then there's a nurse's station back there, and the door's open on the nurse's station. So I tell them, you know what, we're going to turn to and we're going to sing. And we start singing, and I just see this hand come over, hit the door. (laughs) Don't want to hear that. (laughs) But after uh, after this last service, there was a fellow who needed to be taken back to his room. So I wheel him back to his his room. And uh, he's he's an older guy. He has an advanced stage of Parkinson's, so he can't walk anymore. He can can barely put two words together. So it's kind of hard to have a conversation with him. And I bring him back to his room and wheel him in there and kind of back up his chair, pray with him. And then as I'm leaving, I'm walking out the room. The walls are very stark. There's not a whole lot on them, but there's one plaque. And I read that one plaque, and it says, For 40 years of ministry at whatever church. He had been a pastor at a church for 40-some years. And I looked at that, and I thought, hmm. That's the thing, you know, when you visit nursing homes, that's always the thing that's hard, because you think, you know, that's... We're all moving in that same direction, right? What would that be like? What goes on in his mind? What does he think? I've given myself to service of the Lord and preaching and teaching and sharing the gospel for 40 years, and now here I am sitting in this nursing home, and I can't walk, and it's very difficult to talk. Is there any bitterness there? Is there any sense of, man, I did all of this for God for all of these years, and look at where I am. Is there any sense of... um, Disappointment, anger. I certainly don't sense that in him. I didn't sense that in that man. I'm wondering about myself and what it's like to be in that position. I certainly didn't sense that in him. Are you able to sit back and say, I had 40 years of telling people about Jesus, of preaching the gospel, of making Jesus known, 
And I'm so happy to know that there's people out there right now who are walking with Jesus, who are in turn sharing the gospel, who are worshiping him, who are making much of him. And that's reward enough. You know, the reality is this is this is the reality. And people try to sell you on all sorts of different things that if you walk with Jesus, if you do this, that somehow he's going to owe you and all, you know, all this that that's none of that amounts to anything. The reality is Jesus himself is the reward. Jesus himself is the reward. Life is not going to get easier for John. John, the faithful servant who has been serving Christ, who proclaimed him, who said, I must decrease and he must increase, it's not going to get easier. In fact, the next time we see him, he's arrested. John is this preacher of righteousness. He lives in a kingdom where Herod is this... um, He is committed to his unrighteousness, and you know that these two kingdoms are going to come into conflict. It's inevitable. Herod had gone to Rome to visit, in part, to visit his brother Philip. And while visiting his brother Philip, he falls in love with his brother's wife. Her name is Herodias. Probably the reason Herod fell in love with her, because he loved the sound of his own name. Every time he called her, he could hear himself. He seduces his brother's wife, takes him back. And John the Baptist calls him on it. We're told in Mark chapter 6 that Herod actually liked listening to John, that he would listen to him gladly, that there was something about this preacher that compelled him, that drew him. But Herodias, his wife, she didn't like it all that much. And she said, I want you to kill him. I want you to kill that man. Kill John the Baptist. And so Herod's thinking, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I want to um, kill God's servant, his prophet. At the same time, I really don't want my wife mad at me all the time. So he kind of settles for a compromise. I'll arrest him. Throws him in a dungeon. So John the Baptist finds himself in a dungeon, languishing. He knows the words of the prophet. He remembers the word of Isaiah, where Isaiah talks about the Messiah, and the Messiah says, I've come to set prisoners free, but he is languishing in prison. And he sends some of his disciples to go and talk to Jesus. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, these are John's words to Christ, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Collective gasp. John the Baptist, the preacher, says, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? A moment of perceived doubt? It's interesting how Jesus answers him. Jesus doesn't say, tell John to quit doubting. Tell John to quit being such a weenie. Tell John I'll be right there and I'm going to set him free. And he could have done that. He sets Peter free. He sets Paul and Silas free from prison. Instead, he says, go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Go tell John what you've seen, what you've heard. Go tell him about the gospel proclaimed. Go tell him about the lives changed. Go tell him about those who have been raised from the dead. 
Go tell him about the miraculous. Tell him what you know of me so that John can be assured that I am, in fact, the Christ. I am, in fact, the one you've been waiting for. I am the Savior. I am the Messiah. Because what John needed more than anything wasn't some shallow words of comfort. It wasn't even for Jesus to come and set him free from that place. What he needed more than anything was to know that his life had not been lived in vain. That what he had preached, what he had proclaimed, was in fact true, and Jesus was the Christ. And so Jesus tells his disciples, go back and tell him, give him the evidence, tell him that I am in fact the Christ. This is kind of an addendum to to the sermon, but but you have probably had times in your life where you have doubted, and oftentimes that doubt is created by struggles and things in our lives that are just difficult, and it's difficult to see where is God in this, what is he accomplishing, is he even there, is he even listening? And there's a part of us that thinks, well, that's just not right, I can't do that. That's not what a person of faith does. But if you go back through scripture and you consider some of the men of God and the women of God, some of the people who were most faithful, they also had times where they struggled with their doubts. They struggled with their questions. And Abraham and Moses and Job and David. When you have those people in your life, or if you are that person, don't chastise them for their doubts. Instead, tell them what you've seen. Let me tell you what I've seen in Jesus. Let me tell you what he's done. Let me remind you of the gospel. Let me remind you of what he's doing around the world. Let me remind you of what he is going to accomplish. They don't need to be chastised. They need to see Jesus. John isn't going to be released from prison. In fact, he's going to die there. Herod is going to grant his stepdaughter a wish that was brought about by her mom. That would be that John the Baptist would be beheaded. And so he's beheaded in prison. Some have said that in the last generation there have been more Christians martyred than in all of church history combined up to that point. Right now, in North Korea, there are 30,000 plus people who are imprisoned, being tortured and abused simply because they proclaim the name of Christ. And the martyrs throughout church history, and those who have struggled throughout church history, and those who have been abused throughout church history, they're not looking for a shallow comfort. They're not even primarily looking for deliverance from that suffering. They just need to know it's worth it. Jesus then speaks to the crowd. He talks to them about who John the Baptist is. He affirms John as a prophet. He says those words truly. Among those born of women, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. And then he reminds us, he says, but even the least in the kingdom is greater than that. Because in God's economy, in God's kingdom, it's the most humble, it's the least who are the greatest. 
He talks about the kingdom of heaven, that there is a struggle, that there is a fight, a battle for the kingdom of heaven. And then he makes this social commentary, and he makes it to the crowd at the time, and I think he could easily make it to us as well. But to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces, calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came, neither eating or drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came, eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Jesus is looking at the crowd that's gathered around him. He's now talking about John the Baptist and what John is going through. And he says, what should I compare this generation to? This generation is like children having a tantrum. You ever been to someone's house and you're having dinner and they have little kids and a little kid decides they want to do a show for you? <laughs> they want to play an instrument, the recorder, the drums, the ukulele, the guitar, whatever it is, and they're going to sing a little song. And usually, usually as adults, we stop and we listen very politely, even if it makes our ears want to bleed. <laughs> we want to encourage that little musician, right? But sometimes, maybe they've already done it four or five times in the middle of the conversation. Maybe we just don't hear them. Sometimes you just keep going with your conversation, you're not paying attention. And then what can happen? It doesn't always happen, but what can happen? Be a tantrum, right? Listen to me. You're not listening to me. What do I compare this generation? We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge for you and you didn't mourn. You are not listening to me. He says, John came to you preaching and living this lifestyle and you had problems with him. And then Jesus came preaching and living his lifestyle and you had problems with him. And you, I mean, every, every person who is bringing you the word of God, you had problems with. And you said, they're not doing what we expect. They're not doing what we want. Could Jesus say that to our generation? Could he say that to us? Would that be a fair commentary? You know, I did, I did this for you and you didn't do what I wanted. Sang and played for you and you didn't dance. What we see in John the Baptist is a simple, humble attitude that says, He must increase and I must decrease. It is not about me. It has nothing to do with me. And if Jesus doesn't do everything I expect, everything I want, if I struggle and suffer, like he says in Scripture, in this world you're going to have tribulations, you're going to have trials, if that's a reality in my life, if I come to the place in my life where I'm sitting in a chair and I can't move and I can't talk and I'm thinking back of all of the faithful service and all of the years and all of the sermons and everything that I've done, and I think, why is this? This doesn't seem fair. Am I able to have a smile on my face? Am I able to have joy and simply say, but I know that Jesus has been seen and Jesus is known and he's glorified and he's exalted and there's people walking with him, and his gospel is going out. And so it's all worth it. It's all worth it.
my prayer for myself and for our church is that we would be able to reflect those words of John and not say, he must increase and I must increase, or simply I must increase, but he must increase, we must decrease. Jesus needs to be seen more and more and more and more. And the less that's seen of us, the better. So that Jesus is magnified. Lord, I pray for myself. I pray for your church here and in this community throughout our nation and around the world that we would have such a passion to see you exalted and glorified that we would be overjoyed at people coming to know Jesus and seeing you and growing in you and your name being magnified and exalted and glorified that we would make much of you, Lord, without the expectation that somehow we would get some credit along the way, without the expectation that somehow you would perform as we desire, you would give us the things that we think we deserve. Help us to see you as the reward. Help us to know that to have Jesus, to make him known, is reward in and of itself. Lord, be magnified in our lives and in your church, in our marriages, in our schools, in our community, in our homes. We pray that you would be seen more and more and we would be seen less and less. We pray this in your name. Amen.